Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to see you here today. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving uh, and uh, a good day for giving thanks. And I hope you uh, were able to give thanks on Thursday and every day of your life as well. It was a it was a good time uh, at the Hobbs household, and we're we're grateful for that. We welcome everyone here today. We welcome our guests especially. Uh, you're very important to us. We're glad that you're here today and hope that God will bless you in a very special way and that you will feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill those out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. Just give us whatever information you feel uh, comfortable giving to us. Um, that information stays here and, and, uh, and and uh, we would appreciate that. Also, go ahead and get your phone and check in at uh, Community Baptist Church today. A few announcements that we have um, I'd like to call to your attention today. First of all, this afternoon we will be uh, gathering here at 3 o'clock. Uh, anybody who's interested to come and help us to decorate. Uh, the Christmas season is right upon us, and so we will be decorating for the Christmas season uh, this afternoon uh, beginning at 3 o'clock. Also, our, our upper class Classman group uh, have a couple of activities that are coming up. Uh, first of all, on Thursday, um, we'll be leaving at 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon to go to have dinner at the Log Inn. And uh, so come and be a part of that on Thursday afternoon. And then on December the 15th, the upperclassmen group will be making a trip to Auburn, Kentucky uh, to have dinner at McCutcheon Meadows. And it'll be all decorated out for Christmas. Uh, we had uh, a lunch there one time before, and it is a it is a remarkable place. Just a beautiful mansion, and um, uh, it is a beautiful place. And, it, and surely it's going to be very nice during the Christmas season as well. Our women's mission group will be uh, having their annual uh, dinner and um, and auction that they use to raise money for missions on December the third, and that will be at Julie Dodson's house. And the Alice B. Taylor. Um, uh, Christmas music music special will be next Sunday at the Presbyterian Church, and that'll be at four o'clock. And uh, the the Tapestry Choir—that's the choir that—that's uh, what they have named the choir of the four churches that have been uh, uh, collaborating for the Christmas season. They will be doing two pieces, two pieces at the Alice B. Taylor um, uh, next week as well. So that's at four o'clock next week at the Presbyterian Church. I hope you can be there for that. It is good to uh, be here and to share this time of fellowship and worship together. Let me invite you now. Let us stand and let us share the love of God as we greet each other in the name of the Lord. Thank you. 
together. From the first day of Advent, almost a year ago, we have come full circle to the celebration of Christ the King Sunday. We have witnessed the wonderful birth of our Savior and Lord. We have seen the great healing moments and the teachings that have sustained people throughout the centuries. We cried in sorrow at the crucifixion, and we rejoiced with absolute joy on Easter Sunday when Jesus conquered our greatest fear, death. We celebrated the great good news of the disciples as they risked everything to proclaim His good news to all people. And now on this Sunday, we invite Jesus to enter into our hearts. Sovereign Lord Jesus, come into our hearts today and take your throne. Remind us that your kingdom is not of this world, that the kingdoms of this world only offer temporal solutions. But yours is a kingdom of hope and light in which there is no darkness, no fear, no sadness. You have called each of us to be your kingdom people living our lives in the knowledge that peace and justice and hope are not only possible, but they can actually be the ruling factor of our world as we shine that light into dark places. Help us to be the kind of disciple that welcomes everyone with words of kindness and acts of mercy and expressions of peace to all in need. To proclaim Christ risen and glorified. Remind us, O oh God, that we are never out of your grace and mercy. We know that you will give us the strength and the wisdom to be true disciples with you as our leader. And we celebrate and we honor you today and forever. Amen. Amen.
intimidating with less kids than it is with more kids. So this morning when we have our grown-up moment, our our Pastor Tim is going to talk to us about kings. And so I thought that as a children's moment, we'd have a little quiz about kings. So I'm going to show you a picture and I want you to tell me what you see. Okay? <laughs> well, only because he's on this paper. He's probably like eight feet tall in real life. Uh, what makes this a king? His crown. His crown. His robe. The clothes that he's wearing makes him a king, right? Okay. What about this? What is this? It's a card with with a king on it. Okay, what does uh, what does this king do in in the game of cards? Does anybody know? Yes. Defeat other cards. <laughs> okay, he's 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 worth more than a lot of the other cards, right? All right. What is this a picture of? A chess piece. What chess piece is that? The king. What is special about the king in chess? Does anybody know what's special about the king in chess? Yes. Well, no, that's not true. He can be defeated. In fact, the object of the game is to try to take the other person's king. But what makes... Yeah. Okay. Yes. 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 And 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 what also makes him king is how many other pieces he has that takes care of, him, right? That tries to protect him. What about this? Checkers. So when you put another checker on top of another checker, what does that make it? Yes. These guys are really good. And so the king in in checkers can move any direction that they want, right? And last one, what's that a picture of? A lion. A lion. A king of, well, most most lions live in the jungle instead of the forest. But you've been on a roll so far, so we'll give you a sticker when you get home. So, so yeah, and, and what makes the lion the king of the jungle? He can he can kill everything. He's, he's he's ferocious and mean and and nasty and 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 everybody's intimidated or afraid of him, right? So I want to talk to you a little bit more about uh, Christ the King this morning. Okay, this is a picture of what? A king, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Jesus, a king, both of those things. Now, what makes Jesus different than all those other things is that he doesn't have to move any direction. He doesn't have to exert fear over somebody or be worth more than other playing cards or wear something to be made a king. Jesus is my king because I willingly serve him. Because I recognize his power and I recognize that I can't do everything by myself and that I need some help a lot of times in my life. 
and I accept the fact that he's the ruler of my life. And, and that's what makes him a true king, is that his power doesn't come from what he forces upon others. His power comes from what we give to him as the people who are ruled by him. Okay? So let's pray. Everybody bow your heads, please. God, King of Kings, Ruler of this universe, we come to you today seeking to know you, to love you, to stand with you, to accept your guidance in our lives, to better understand your will, and to serve you by sharing it with others. We accept your influence on our lives so that we might extend a positive influence in this world so that others who do not know you will be able to recognize you and all your glory. Lead us, protect us, correct us when we are wrong, and continue to show us the way. In your name we pray. Amen. sending our Savior for our sins. We thank you for Him and that He shall always be in our hearts. And let us think of you, God, through our prayers as a small appreciation of our thanks. Please accept these tithes and offerings. We say this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
sermon I'm going to read today comes from John 18, verses 33 through 37. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. Uh, if my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked, uh, asked him, So are you a king? Jesus answered, You say that, that I'm a king for this. I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify. To the, to the truth, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. This is the word of the Lord. of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mountain fixed upon it mount of thy redeeming love my Ebenezer here by thy great help I've come and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of Danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, that day when free from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face clothed in the blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy wondrous grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry, take my ransom so long way. Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless days. How great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. 
Thank you so much, Tim and Heather. What a wonderful song. Um, Brad, thanks for your children's moment. You mentioned all of these kings and things. Uh, but you know what? You left one out. Elvis. <laughs> the Reverend Susan Sparks senior pastor of Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York City, published a wonderful sermon uh, a while back drawing a contrast between two kings. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, and Jesus, the king of all creation. You might remember uh, the the comedian Adam Sandler's uh, comparison of these two great men. He said that Jesus told us to love thy neighbor, and Elvis said, don't be cruel. He said Jesus was a part of the Trinity, and Elvis' first band was a trio. And Jesus is the Lord's shepherd. Elvis dated Sybil Shepherd. You can find all kinds of them out there. They're, They're all over the place. But but Reverend Sparks noted takes note of the tremendous devotion that a lot of people still have for Elvis Presley. She says that that while she was visiting in Memphis, she went to the famous Sun Records where Elvis recorded his very first song. And in the studio there, there is an X marked on the floor with duct tape indicating the exact spot where Elvis stood when he recorded his first song. And the tour guide told them that just a week before she was there, Bob Dylan had come into the studio said not a word to anyone, walked over to the X, got down on all fours and kissed it, and walked out. Now that's a tribute from one rock legend to another, isn't it? Reverend Sparks also visited Graceland, Elvis's home. And she said that as they, wait, as they waited in line to, uh, to buy her ticket, she turned to one of the tour guides there and asked, So how long did Elvis actually live here? And there was an audible gasp among the people surrounding her. And the tour guide looked at her with a shocked expression on her face and whispered, We don't use past tense here. (laughs) And then she pointed to her t-shirt which said, Graceland, where Elvis lives. It didn't matter that uh, this um, tour guide had never actually seen Elvis and that, uh, or that technically Elvis stopped walking the earth over 32 years before this took place. None of that really mattered. She didn't care. Elvis' fans don't care without any proof whatsoever. They believe he lives. Elvis lives, baby! The king lives! But not only that, says Reverend Sparks, because they believe he, he lives, Elvis fans will go out into the world and share his message. They play Elvis music. They dress up as Elvis impersonators. They decorate their homes with Elvis memorabilia. She says that one of the favorite, uh, Reverend Sparks says that one of the favorite things at, at the Graceland gift shop that she saw there was an Elvis sprinkler. It was about a foot high, plastic Elvis in a sequined jumpsuit, and as he waters your yards, his hips swivel. <laughs> I'd love to have that, wouldn't you? (laughs) And then she added this interesting thought. Whether through word or music, impersonators or sprinklers, Elvis fans proudly proclaim the message of the king. Welcome on this last Sunday of the Christian year. The liturgical year will actually begin anew next week as we celebrate the first Sunday of Advent. But today, on this last Sunday of the the liturgical year, we celebrate Christ the King. And so in keeping with the spirit of this day, there is one simple question that I think we all need to consider this morning. 
And that is, who is the king of your life? Who is the king of your life? In our lesson from John's Gospel, Pilate is interrogating Jesus before his crucifixion. And he asks, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered his question with a question of his own. Is that your idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people, your own, your own chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. But my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered him somewhat cryptically, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, if Pilate thought that he could intimidate Jesus, he was sorely mistaken. And if Pilate thought that he was in control of this situation, he was sorely mistaken. He might have had the power to turn this prisoner over to the mob to be persecuted. But if he did, he would simply be following a script that was laid out long before the beginning of time. The Son of God would give his life so that all of God's children might one day find life through him. But I return to the question for today. Who is your king? The thing is that everybody worships something or somebody. And if it is not Jesus, then it is something or someone less worthy. We've talked about this before, but I, I think it's crucial. One of, the, one of the 20th century's most perceptive theolo- theologians was a man named Paul Tillich. He's a man that any theological student in any reputable seminary or college will study, Paul Tillich. And, and by the way, Paul Tillich is buried just a short distance from here, over in New Harmony, Indiana. But Paul Tillich once made the astute observation that whatever our ultimate concern is, that is our God. Whatever our ultimate concern is, that is our God. It might be our appearance. It might be our bank account. It might be some popular media personality like Elvis. It might be our allegiance to our country. It might be our quest for scientific truth or a host of other important concerns. But here's the thing. Everybody worships something or somebody. It might be something as simple as the esteem of our peers. There are some people who are obsessed with what significant people in their lives think about them. And this obsession might not even be a conscious thing in their lives, but it still rates a a higher priority than, than their family life or even their relationship with God. If standing up for Jesus would embarrass them in front of their peers, they will remain seated. Thank you very much. So what is it in life that you value the very most? That you would not only die for, but also live for? And be careful how you answer that question. Some people will say, oh yeah, Jesus... Jesus is what what matters most in my life. It's easy for us to say that, isn't it? It's easy for us to come to a place like this full of Christian people and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And yet when the time of testing comes, we discover that's not true. Not really. Perhaps it is the esteem with which our friends, our friends hold us that really matters most. You know, some of us just kind of get along by going along with the attitudes of our friends. So what is it in life that you value the most? 
Some of you will say that you value your family the most, and, and that's a good thing. However, do you value your family more than you value God? It's a tough call, isn't it? Some missionaries have to make that decision. I mean, it's one thing to put themselves at risk in serving Christ in a dangerous situation, but how about their spouse? How about, God forbid, their children? Is your family your greatest priority? Evangelical researcher and author George Barna says that studies show that far more people in this country are willing to die for their country than they are for their faith. That's kind of revealing, isn't it? So who is your king? Who or what do you really and truly worship? Well, our biblical faith insists that God alone is worthy of our worship. And our faith in our God may demand some extraordinary sacrifices on our behalf. Brittany Smith is back in the nursery with the children, but she and I know about a couple who was willing to make Christ the king of their lives. Not at first, but they, they ended up making Christ the king of their lives. You see, before co-founding Habitat for Humanity, Millard Fuller was a hugely successful businessman who one day followed his estranged wife, Linda, to New York City to try to convince her to come back to him. They had separated for a while, and he followed her to New York City to, to try to convince her to have him back, to come back to, and to reunite with their relationship. But she was not easily convinced that he would be able to turn away from his headlong rush for material wealth. That had been his main concern up to this point in his life. You see, up to this point, money had been his ultimate concern. His God. Success was his God. And Millard recalls that we were in a taxi right after Linda and I had had a a very tearful discussion. And earlier that day, we had gone to Radio City Music Hall with... And, and they had shown the movie Never Too Late at the, at the movie theater there. And it was, it was about a woman getting pregnant after she thought that it was too late in her life. And the message of, of the movie was that it's never too late to change anything. Well, Millard said, I had, I had a sensation of, of light in that taxi ride. It was not anything spooky or anything like that. All I can say is it just came into my head and as if it was as if God was saying, give your money away. Make yourself poor again and throw yourself on the mercy of God. And so I turned to Linda and I said, I believe that God just gave me the idea to give all of our money away, to give everything away. And she said, I agree, let's do it. And they did. They joined a group of folks down in Georgia at a place called Koinonia Farms. They came under the teaching of a, of a great man down there, one of my heroes. And there they founded Habitat for Humanity. Everybody tried to talk them out of it. Friends, families, pastors, they tried to talk them out of it. But Millard Fuller believed that that God was calling them to live a, a radical new life. And they ended up building one of the greatest ministries for helping other people in modern times. Habitat for Humanity. Millard Fuller and his wife gave everything away to follow the call of God in their life. And not everybody is called on to make a sacrifice like that in their lives. 
But would you be willing to do that if Jesus asked you to? That's the question for today. William Willimon says that he's still haunted by a conversation that he had with a man in one of his early churches. Uh, The man told Willimon that one evening when he was returning from a night of playing poker with some of his pals, he had had this stunning vision of the presence of, of Christ. And he said that Christ appeared before him undeniably and vividly. He saw him as if he was standing right there in front of him. And and yet, even though this event shook him to the core and, and stirred him in his heart, in the ten years that had ensued since that experience, that man had never told anyone about it before he told William Williman, his pastor. Well, William uh, Williman um, pressed him on his silence, and he asked, "Why? Why didn't you say anything about it? What, were you embarrassed? Was he fearful that others would mock him or not believe that he had that this had actually happened to him?" And the man said, "No, that's not it at all." He said, the reason why I told no one about this was that I was afraid that it was true. And if it's true that Jesus is really real and that He had come personally to me, what then? I'd have to change my whole life. I'd have to become some kind of radical or something. And, and I love my wife and I love my family. And I was, I was scared that I would have to change to be somebody else and destroy everything else in my life if this vision was real. Wow, that's kind of a powerful thought, isn't it? If Jesus really is real... And if we should encounter Him, what are the implications of that experience in our lives? I guess under such circumstances as that, we would discover who is really king of our life. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. faced that question preaching in front of the Ebenezer Baptist Congregation in Atlanta, a church that loved him and that he loved, a church that he had grown up in. Dr. King told them just two months before his untimely death how he would like to be remembered. And in doing so, he zeroed in on that ultimate question, if Christ is king, what does that mean? If Christ is ruler over our lives, Dr. King told them, then my Nobel Peace Prize is less important to me than my trying to feed the hungry. If Christ is king, then my invitations to the White House are less important than that I visited those in prison. If Christ is Lord, then my being Time Magazine's Man of the Year is less important than, I, than that I tried to love extravagantly, dangerously, and with all of my being. And you know something? Dr. King was right, wasn't he? If Christ is real, if Christ really is King, then nothing else matters quite as much as that. Why? Because we know that we can trust Christ with our families. And we know that we can trust Christ with our personal destinies. And we know that we can trust Christ with everything that is important to us. And we can face our future confidently and triumphantly if if Christ really is King. Back on July the 20th, 1969, U.S. astronaut Neil Armstrong became the first human being to set foot on the moon. President Richard Nixon acclaimed the event as the greatest one, one event since the time of creation. Armstrong himself, as he took that last step from the ladder of his lunar module to the, the moon's surface, said, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Well, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Neil Armstrong was a devout Christian. 
He later visited the old city in Jerusalem and at the, at the Huldah Gate, which leads down to the, the Temple Mount. Armstrong wanted to know if Jesus had walked on those very steps. And when he was assured that he had, Armstrong said, I have to tell you, I'm more excited about stepping on these stones than, on, than by stepping on the, the moon. And why was he so excited? Because he knew that Christ is the king of all creation, including the stars and the moon. I understand that in the Berlin Art Gallery, there's a, a painting by a famous artist, Adolf Menzel. It's only partially finished. It's not completed. It was supposed to be a painting of King Frederick of Germany. And in the painting, Frederick is, is supposed to be talking to his generals. And, and Menzel had painstakingly painted the generals first. And they were, they were kind of around the outside of the painting. And, and the king was left until last to be painted, leaving a bare patch in the middle of the painting with the background of the generals. But Menzel died before he could finish the painting. And so there was this painting full of generals, but no king. I just wonder if that could be a metaphor for how many people are living their lives with no real king. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't work. You see, everybody worships something or somebody. And ultimately, if we don't worship Christ, we worship ourselves. And the only problem with that is that we can't save ourselves. And so I leave you today with the question with which I began this sermon. Is Christ the king of your life? And if he is, does it show? And if it doesn't show, is he really your king? Amen. How about a great song? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That is something to rejoice about, isn't it? That the Lord has come. We're about to enter into that time when we celebrate the coming of the Lord as Advent is upon us. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Let us rejoice. Thank you.